following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. Thank you, children. You are dismissed to your classes. And while they're making their way out, if you would, open your Bibles to the book of Amos. Amos, chapter number 3. We'll be taking a look at Amos chapter 3 and chapter 4 this this morning and this evening. And As I informed you last week, we're going to be uh, looking at, uh, at this book. Sunday morning and Sunday night. But Amos wastes really no time in getting right to the point. He barely introduces himself before he starts pronouncing judgment. And uh, as we've noticed, uh, Amos <clears throat> was a, uh, a farmer. He was a, um, uh, he was a shepherd. This wasn't his main job, which goes to show that you don't necessarily have to be uh, uh, trained in seminary to be used by God. I've had people through the years, they've said things to me such as, well, that's, you, you had Bible education, you've had Bible uh, uh, teaching, you've had seminary training and so forth. It's easy for you to do that kind of thing, but what about me? Well, here we have a shepherd and he steps out onto the scene. And if you really read through the book of Amos in its entirety, uh, you'll notice many different sermons that are presented, and his alliteration is next to none. <laughs> uh, he really kind of goes in. He has key words through different portions of, uh, of the book that really stand out. Uh, we notice this in chapter 1 uh, when he says, For three transgressions of so-and-so, yet for four. Uh, he says that over and over again. Uh, this was the writing style. The book of Amos is a very poetical book. Now, if you uh, have a Bible that perhaps uh, lays out the poetry a little more uh, uh, pointedly, and you'll notice where there are certain uh, uh, certain verses, certain passages, that they're kind of broken up with the shorter lines and the indentions are a little bit different. If you have that type of a Bible, um, uh, then you understand what I'm saying because uh, quite possibly the book of Amos is broken up a lot as you read through it. Uh, there's uh, several different passages that kind of stand out to us as we go through this. Uh, But the one thing that really kind of uh, strikes me is as he goes through chapters 1 and chapter 2, and we looked at this in detail last week, as he goes through this, you can kind of see 
uh, the preacher standing before the people, heralding out this message, and he starts in on Damascus, and all the people said, amen. And then he goes into uh, Gaza, and all the people said, amen. And then he goes into uh, Tyrus, and everybody said, amen. Then Edom, everybody said, amen. Then Ammon, everybody said, amen. Then Moab, and everybody said, amen. And then they even he even gets to Judah, their, their, their close brothers, right? And he goes into Judah, and everybody in Israel is going, amen. And then he says, now it's your turn. And crickets is all you heard. We got through uh, the opening portion of that, but now we step into here in chapter 3, uh, Amos delivering several sermons regarding Israel's coming judgment, and he makes very plain the situation that they find themselves in. Well, just stand with me, if you would, for the reading of God's Word here in Amos chapter number 3. Starting in verse 1, it says, Hear this word that the Lord hath spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Can two walk together, except they be agreed? Will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he have taken nothing? Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where no gin is for him, or no trap has been set? Shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? Shall a trumpet be blown in the city, and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city, and the Lord hath not done it? Surely the Lord will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. The lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord hath spoken, who can but prophesy? Publish in the places at Ashdod and in the, pal- in the palaces at Ashdod and in the palaces in the land of Egypt and say, assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria. And behold, the great tumults in the midst thereof and the oppressed in the midst thereof. For they know not to do right, saith the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, an adversary shall uh, be even round about the land, and he shall bring uh, down thy strength from thee, and thy palaces shall be spoiled. Thus saith the Lord, as the shepherd uh, taketh uh, out, uh, out of the mouth the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out of the, uh, that dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed and in Damascus in a couch. Hear ye and testify in the house of Jacob, saith the Lord God, the God of hosts, that in that day I shall visit the transgressions of Israel upon him. I will also visit the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. And I will smite the winter house with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall have an end, saith the Lord. Father, bless the reading of your word, we pray to our hearts. Open our minds so that we may see all the areas, Lord, that we need to address. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we go through this, uh, it's important for us to uh, recognize some of what is actually being 
mentioned, some of what is being uh, taught here. Uh, a lot of things, oftentimes we read past because we just don't understand uh, maybe why something is there, uh, what the significance of it. And so tonight we'll go in a little bit more into this idea of Bethel and, and the altar of Bethel being cut off and uh, even the horns being uh, uh, cut off of the uh, altar there. Uh, we'll look at that in a little more detail this evening. Uh, but for right now, what I'd kind of like to look at is this idea that Israel was the elect, the chosen of God, chosen for a specific purpose, and that was to bear his name to the world. And if you notice there in verse number one, it says, Hear the word of the Lord, uh, that the Lord hath spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Is this the Lord speaking and saying, I don't know anybody but you? That's not what he is referring to. What he is referring to is that intimate relationship that he established with the people of Israel. In other words, he says, I have taken you as my wife. And this is the idea that we need to understand. Amos and Hosea being contemporaries, if you read the book of Hosea, you will note uh, how Hosea had taken to himself a wife that was a prostitute. And he takes this woman in as a wife, and she is constantly going back to her old lifestyle. And Hosea is constantly having to go retrieve her, bring her back in, try, uh, fighting for her, trying to woo her, trying to get her to understand how much he loves, proving his love time and time again. And this is the picture that we're given of God and Israel. And we see it all through the book of Amos, how the Israel, uh, just as Judah, had despised the word of the Lord, had rejected God and his ways, didn't want anything to do with him. He never broke his covenant. They were breaking it. And so what we find here is God is reminding them, I chose you, handpicked by God. And yet they rejected him. They spurned his love. Israel here had this choosing and this purpose. As you read through the word of God, you see over and over again where the purpose of God's people was so that the rest of the world would know God. I mean, we, we look at uh, the story of David and Goliath, and we teach these stories. You know, here's David. He shows up, and he's, a, he's just a young man, and he goes out there with his sling and his, and his stones, and he, he hits that, that Goliath, and he kills the Goliath. And, 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 and what's the moral of the story, children? Well, the moral of the story is even kids can do something for God. Wrong. That's not the moral of the story. Why did David go out to begin with? because he didn't like how the name of the Lord was being profaned. He didn't like how God was being mocked. And he steps out and he says, this day shall the world know there's a God in Israel. That was the purpose. That was why God had them. Guess what? That's why you're here today too. Do you realize that if you are born again by the Spirit of God, if you claim Christ as your Savior, as your Lord and Savior, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. This is the whole purpose of man. Man was made in the image of God to reveal God to one another. 
Israel had really failed in this. We're going to look specifically at some of the things that they messed up, but I really kind of want to come down to a, 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 a main theme as we go through. Look with me, if you would, at verse uh, 3. It says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he have taken nothing? Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where no, there, where no gin is for him? Shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in the city and the Lord hath not done it? Surely the Lord will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants. The prophet, the lion, hath roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God hath spoken. Who can but prophesy? Let's look at the relationship here with God that is, is given to us. We saw in the very first two uh, verses there that nationally Israel was chosen. And, and, and I, I want us to understand, and we're going to see this as we get into further chapters, but the idea of seeking the Lord. If you look at chapter 5, you'll see over and over again the, the key word in, the, in chapter 5 is the word seek. Those who seek God will find God. Those who find him, though, will be used by God. Understand that. This, this idea that uh, people are saved because they get to go, so that they get to go to heaven, that's not, that's not the end result, my friend. When we are born again by the Spirit of God, the purpose of our, of our new birth is to reveal him to be changed from the inside out. And this is what Paul talks about in the book of Philippians when he says to work out your own salvation because it is God working in you. And if I'm not working on the outside, is there any evidence that there's something being, uh, being done on the inside? And if there's no evidence of something being done on the inside, how can I be so sure that I truly am born again by the Spirit of God? Many people come to Christ just so that they can go to heaven, have no desire to be like him, have no desire for God to change them, have no desire for God to correct them, have no desire for anything, uh, anything to become new. They want to remain the same old person just with a get-out-of-hell-free card. This is not salvation, my friends. That's not what the Word of God teaches. Any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things become new. Nationally, Israel was to be that picture. They were to be that, that people. God had made a promise to bless and to use Israel to bless. If you go back to, uh, to Abraham, he says, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. But in, he also says this, and in you shall the world be blessed. And so it, it, let's, let's remove from our, our, our minds this idea that God picks and chooses some people for salvation and boots the rest of them away. That's not the truth. He picks some people to show the others. It's their choice to accept or reject. As we look at this and we get a good understanding of it, they're reminded here of God's deliverance. If you go back to verse number one of chapter three, he said, lets them know, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Brother Dave read earlier about how God brought them out of Egypt. 
no longer in bondage, no longer in slavery. He rescued them. God, I want you to understand, does not make rash decisions. Israel was the elect of God, chosen to bear his name to the world. However, they rejected his word. I want us to also not not be so fast to think that God is quick in his actions. uh, Don't view the actions that he has here that we're getting ready to look at as harsh because so many people see the the correcting hand of God as harsh and, and, and judgmental and vicious. That's not the case. God is gracious in his attempts to bring Israel back. Very, very gracious. Now, I want us to go back to the idea that we had just a moment ago about God picking his his bride. Uh, Men, think about it for just a minute. You know, I, I know men pick brides, right? Wrong. Men think we pick our brides. They reeled us in, didn't I'm just kidding. But here's here's what here's where it is. You have your eyes set on that one, right? You have your eyes set on that that one special one, and you get her. She's yours. In my premarital counseling, a lot of times I'll talk to people about how uh, the book of Colossians says all things are made by him for him. This is a picture of marriage. You see, when I stood next to, next to my best man and uh, the pastor, and I, I was standing on the platform there, and I looked down that aisle, and there was that beautiful woman. I said, that's for me. That's for me. Now, a lot of people view that, ooh, really? That's how you look? Well, she's for me to cook my meals, for me to, no. That's for me to love. That's for me to sacrifice for. That's for me to give myself for. That's for me to serve. She is for me. It's mine. She's my wife, not your wife. When Pastor McCracken and I were first talking about me coming up here, we we got to talking, and he started asking me about my wife. And I said, look, you're not getting a two-for-one. That's my wife, not the church's wife. And I don't make any apology for that. If the church is looking for a pastor and a co-pastor, you're looking at the wrong family. But you're going to get a pastor who has a phenomenal support staff at home. She ain't the church's wife. She's mine. And that's the way God feels. He is jealous for his bride. And he points it out here. He doesn't look for the opportunity to just brush them off. He tries time and time and time again to get their attention. Now, on an individual level, God also chose Amos. You remember in our study in the book of Jonah, God chose Jonah, and Jonah wanted to get away from it. God's like, uh-uh, I picked you, boy. Uh-uh. Here we have a man by the name of Amos, and Amos is letting the people know, I am in line with God. Think about it for, for just a minute. Look what he says in verse 3. He says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Now, a lot of times we equate this to us and God. We have to be in agreement with God or we're not going to be able to walk with him. 
Now, I understand the application, but I believe what's actually being stated here based on the context of where it's located, Amos is letting the people know, I'm in agreement with God. What I'm saying lines up with him. If if I'm not in agreement with God, I can't be walking with him. So in other words, listen up. Because he follows it right up. Will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Will a young lion cry out if he in his den if not taking anything? Uh, can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where no gin is for him? That word gin just simply means a trap or a snare. Uh, shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? In other words, he's letting the people know, look, what I'm getting ready to tell you lines up with God. What I'm getting ready to tell you is in agreement with his word. What I'm getting ready to tell you, listen to. That's what he's saying. Let's put it this way. Uh, Amos wants it to be very clear as Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 22 says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if that thing does not come to pass, God hadn't spoken it. If the words of the preacher are not in line with the word of God, then that is not a message from the Lord. Not. It, it, it doesn't work that way, folks. We need to make sure that we're staying with this book. Anytime a preacher stands up and starts to proclaim something that is contrary to this book, hands up, time to go. We're done. If you ever hear me doing it, people better be rushing the pulpit. If I'm ever not here and somebody starts to do it, I want to see some of you guys reliving your football glory days. Take them down. In love. You got to speak the truth in love, right? But then he makes another statement here in verse 7. Look what he says. Surely the Lord will do nothing but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. The lion hath roared. Who will not fear? The Lord hath spoken. Who can but prophesy? I want you to notice something that is being said here. God never sends punishment without first sending a warning. It's a promise. He never sends punishment punishment without first sending a warning. (laughs) I don't know about you, but that's grace. I'm not the best parent in the world. There have been many times where I have sent punishment without the warning. But then there's many times where as a parent, I have sent 4,000 warnings without a punishment. You've been there. Don't look at me like y'all perfect and I'm the only idiot. God tells his prophets, And then they proclaim, and man has a responsibility to respond to it. Understand this unequivocally. Your responsibility is inescapable. You cannot get out of it. If there is something that the Lord is working in your heart and dealing with you about and you ignore it and you reject it and time after time you are instructed by the Holy Spirit of God to forsake something, to alter something, to edit it, to change it, to add it, to whatever it is, if you are being dealt with by the Holy Spirit of God and he is giving to you something in his word and you are ignoring it and moving away from it and rejecting and rebellious to it, 
You can't get out of that responsibility. You can't. And the people of Israel were let, uh, were let to be known that their, their responsibility is through the roof. It's one thing for people to not know. But once someone knows, they're now forevermore responsible. If you know something's wrong and you're still doing it, you're responsible and you will face God. Now, here's where we know where the rubber meets the road. I was talking a little bit ago about being made new and not clinging to the old. Well, pastor, how do I know if I'm only claiming salvation so that I can go to heaven and not hell? How do I know if I have truly submitted uh, to making Jesus my Lord and Savior? How do I know I'm truly truly born again. That's evidence. When the word of God is given to us, how quick are we to reject it? How quick are we to continue in our sin? How quick are we to accept what God's word has to tell us? Or are we quick to excuse it away with this idea? Eh, I'm saved, I'll still go to heaven. I don't really have to address that. I'm I'm still okay. Oh, well, you know, I believe in eternal security, Pastor. (laughs) I, I guess I'm still saved. I'm okay. Easy trigger. We need to understand what we're looking at here. The hunger and the thirst for righteousness will not be there for a corpse. But those who are born again and who are alive That's what the word quicken means. You've been made alive. They're going to hunger. They're going to thirst. They're going to desire to grow closer. They're going to desire to submit. That's not popular preaching. That won't fill a 30,000-person auditorium. But it'll introduce people to Christ. It'll help people see the truth of who he is. Let's look at the sinfulness of Samaria, though, here. Look at verse 9. Publish in the palaces of Ashdod and in the palaces in the land of Egypt and say, Assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria, and behold, the great tumults in the midst thereof and the oppressed in the midst thereof. For they know not to do right, saith the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. Now, I want us to see who he's addressing and why. Because God's desire was to have Israel reveal him to the world. His ultimate plan is for his children uh, to rule and reign with him. However, here, the heathen has been called to bear witness against the people of God. It's what he's saying here in verse number nine, publish in the palaces of Ashdod and in the palaces of Egypt and say, assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria. In other words, all these pagans are coming together. All these uh, unsaved, these heathens are coming together and they're witnessing against Israel. Wow. When the enemies of God gather to cry shame on those who claim to be God's people, you can be sure God's cup of indignation and wrath is full and overflowing. You know, if, if we were to look uh, through the, the Ten Commandments, the majority of them deal with our attitude toward God. 
I mean, you, you really think about it, it, it does. Even when you get down to why is it wrong to steal? Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Our attitude toward God ought to be, since I'm made in your image, I'm going to represent you well. Therefore, I will not steal. I will not lie, so forth and so on. You know, one of the, one of the Ten Commandments that gets twisted and messed up time and time again is thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And people say, oh, so I'm not supposed to use God's name as a cuss word. Well, that's applicable. And any, anything that would holiness of, of our God. I mean, that, that's, that's spitting in the face of God. Uh, we're, we're, we want to be very cautious with that. So I'm not condoning that in any way, shape, or form. But to take the name of the Lord in vain goes a little bit further than that. Let's say, let's have some fun. Let's say your Steelers fan is going to uh, a Steelers game where they're playing the Browns. Would they dress in Browns gear? Let's put it the other way around. Would a Browns fan dress in Steelers paraphernalia? No. I mean, we, we understand that, right? No, I'm showing up wearing yellow. I'm showing up wearing brown. That's orange. Anyway, I'm showing up wearing my colors, right? To say that you're a Steelers fan while you're cheering for the Browns when they're playing against the Steelers is taking that in vain. That's worthless. You're not a real fan, right? And so to take the name of Christ, I'm a child of God. I am born again. Spirit of God, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to act however I want to act, whenever I want to act, and treat whoever I want to act, however I want to. That's taking the name of the Lord in vain. If I'm professing to be a child of God, but I'm acting like the world, I've taken the name of the Lord in vain. I've attached to myself his name and made it worthless. And how many times does the world stand at judgment of Christians because you have pastors who abuse the, the office of leadership? You have uh, teachers who abuse their power with the children. You have churches who abuse the finances. You have people who are, who are, are, are supposedly the children of God uh, preaching grace, mercy, and love who act hateful, bitter, and estranged from one another. Name the Lord in vain. May it never be said of Liberty Bible Church. May it never be said that we claim Christ and this book as the guides of our life, but act worse than the world. Let that never be said of us. Many charges against Israel. As we go through this, you'll see everything from um, greed, over excesses, oppression. Yeah, I find the the wording in the in in the Bible kind of humorous. I don't know about you, but I, I enjoy the uh, the quippy nature of some of our Old Testament prophets. Take for example, verse one of chapter four. Let's see if we can make anybody mad. Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan. <laughs> if you're if you're you're reading something that just simply says cows, you've missed out because kind means female cows. 
he's talking to the women. And we'll get into this a little bit more this evening. The women who have gotten fat and lazy on their greed. Let me translate that to the hillbilly for you because I speak shepherd. I speak hillbilly. Listen up, heifers. That's what he's saying. I mean, put yourself in that position. Some of you guys are afraid to laugh. That's funny. I don't care who you are. That's funny right there. That's hilarious. And, and, and the, 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 the people are completely oblivious to it. But he said here in verse 10, he, he gives you something else. He says they don't know to do right. In other words, they're too stupid to figure it out for themselves so the heathen have to come and tell them what they're doing wrong. The heathen. Greed. Well, how are we so greedy? Greed is a relentless pursuit, never having enough. It causes uh, uh, us to only desire to deal uh, in deals that benefit ourselves. We expect others to try to cheat us because that's how we treat them. And it leads to extortion if possible. Here they had one home was not enough. They had to get more. They had to have better. They had to have bigger. Trying to keep up with the Joneses, right? Well, there's another one that's mentioned in, in uh, uh, verse 9 there. comes to the end of verse 9. It says, And behold, the great tumults in the midst thereof, and the oppressed in the midst thereof. Oppression is when power is misused. Those in position of power must take very, resp- very seriously their responsibility that has been placed in their hands. Isaiah 1.17 says, Learn to do good, seek justice, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Not to be the oppressors, but here the people of God had become oppressors. Do you realize what was taking place in Israel at that time? They had completely wiped out the middle class. The rich got richer and the poor got poorer. The middle class did not exist at that stage. That's what happened. That ought never take place amongst God's people. You see, there were no social programs like there are today. They plundered. This is overt greed. They forgot the right way to live because they had lived so long in sin. It's interesting. So many people, even today, have lived in a certain sin for so long that they have completely lost sight of how to do it right. They're so used to lie and deny, they have no idea how to tell the truth. They're so used to their illicit relationships, they have no idea how to have a right one. And then last, and we'll round things up with this. We're made in the image and likeness of God. And since he is generous, we too ought to be giving. We too ought to be giving. See, God is gracious and merciful. He is generous and not one bit greedy. Not one bit greedy. Perhaps uh, you have been around children for any amount of time and, and you know a certain toy or a certain game or something and 
and that's their favorite thing, and then one day it's sitting on the uh, coffee table, right? No one's using it. No one's touching it. And then in toddles little brother or little sister and simply picks up the toy. And what happens? That's mine, right? And then we have to say, now, wait, wait, wait. You weren't playing with it. Let them play with it. It's fine. It's a, but it's mine, and I was getting ready to play with that. Well, you're not playing with it right now, so can she just play with it? Fine, but she better not break it, right? right. Fine. That's a grudging giver, right? How many of God's people are that way? Ugh. Pastor's going to talk about tithing, isn't he? Yeah. The Bible talks about it. You know, the Bible lets us know that God loves a cheerful giver. Not someone you got to pry it out of their hands. See, Israel had ceased from thinking about God and helping others see his greatness. And all they could think about from that moment on was their own self and their own benefit. Well, if I give to that, then I'm I'm not going to have enough for me. We do this too because we stop giving to the Lord and his work, but yet we continue to give to our own comfort. I was talking to a young man, uh, this has been a while back, but he was letting me know he can't afford to tithe. And I said, why not? He said, well, after I pay for the, pay the, uh, my car uh, loan and my rent, and I took out a loan to buy my motorcycle, and then I've got to pay my bills. Well, what kind of bills do you have? You're a single guy. You're living alone. Well, I've got cable. I've got my gym membership. I've got, I mean, just start listing it. <laughs> Buddy, you can't afford not to die. <laughs> and maybe the reason we don't give to the Lord is because we're too busy giving to ourselves and we're getting fat like a bunch of heifers. Right? Some of y'all will laugh about that later. You're just afraid your spouse to see it. Here we have God who is gracious. He's pitiful. He's not one bit greedy. And the people who were supposed to show this giving nature to the world were taking it to themselves. You see, folks, I understand that there are a lot of people out there who make a big deal out of money. You know me. You can probably count on one hand the amount of times I've preached on money. But do you realize that Jesus talked about money more than anything? Understand that I believe it's like one-third of the parables on money. Why? Because it reveals our heart. It reveals our heart. And then people say, "Think well, I tithe. I just don't do 10%. Then you don't tithe because the word tithe means 10%. Well, I tithe, but I don't give the extra stuff. Listen, Malachi 3.8 says, we robbed him in tithes and offerings. You know, it takes money to stream online. It takes money to put the words up on the screen. It takes money to have a sound system. 
It takes money to have a piano, and it takes money to have chairs, nice and comfortable chairs. It takes money to turn these lights on. You know, we support over 40 different missionaries and mission works around the world. It takes money to do that. And the cafe has been such a blessing. But don't forget, that's going to one. We've still got 40 others that we have to support on a monthly basis. I guarantee you, we're doing the best we can to use God's money right. This is, it's not about people say, well, all the church ever wants to talk about is money. That's not true here, and you know it. We don't want your money. We want you. Because if God has your heart, you'll be generous. The money's easy. See, I can't go to Africa, China, or Brazil, but I can send people to Africa, China, and Brazil. But I'm not going to send them if I'm too busy holding on to that nickel so hard the president squeals. There's a lot of squealing going on, I'm afraid. It's a conclusion. You know, many, many times we get stuck on one thing over another. But let me look at it from this angle. If the word of the Lord came to Liberty Bible Church, what would be said? What would be said? We read through in chapters 1 and 2, thus says the Lord. What if it said, thus says the Lord? How many transgressions would we be given? Three? Four? What would we be guilty of? Rejecting his leadership? Not being generous? Let me ask you it this way. How are you doing personally at revealing God to the world? Does the world see fat, lavish God who has nothing but poor slaves around him? Or are you showing a generous, giving God who puts others before himself? Ask it this way. Matthew chapter 6, Christ's Sermon on the Mount. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, treasures in heaven. What would my bank statement, I wonder, say about my heart? This is not to say don't pay your bills. Please don't misunderstand. But are you so strapped with credit card debt, cars, cell phones, gadgets, Christmas gifts, my goodness, I was talking to somebody not too long ago, and they said, well, we usually spend about $1,000 on each of our kids for Christmas. I'm like, 1000 bucks? I was lucky to get 1000 bucks my entire childhood. I still enjoy playing with an oatmeal container. Let me ask you, ask you this. Did God give what he had left over? No. No. God didn't give what he had left over after he paid the bills. God didn't give what he had extra. He gave his very best. 
He gave what we are not worthy of. He gave what we do not deserve. His son. Coming up on a time of the year where we celebrate that gift. Giving's not just something for Christmas. It's something that ought to be a pattern of our lifestyle. God didn't give what he had left. He gave the best. And if we're to be like him, maybe we could ask the question this way. If the word of the Lord came to you personally, what would be said? Why do we keep so much back and give so little? He gave his son for you. What have you given for him? Father, we know, Lord, that you are the giver of good gifts. And we trust, Father, that we can we can rely on that gift. And Lord, it never comes up short, but it's always, always sufficient. Thank you for giving to us your son and not holding back. Thank you for not being greedy, but giving us the example of your generosity. So help us, Lord, as we give back to you. We try to give so that others might have as well. We pray, Lord, that you would bless that effort and help us to see areas that we have not been obedient. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. You have been listening to Andy Lake, Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church, 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio. 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, you may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.